And there we go. We are recording. So yes, I haven't broken my New Year's resolutions because I didn't make any. I've, what I'm trying to do is a, is a work in progress, right? Um, I don't have a great track record with New Year's resolutions, so I'm, I'm going for something that'll be a continue through the year, keep revisiting it type of thing. You can ask me in a couple of months how that's going if you want. Um, but that's not why we're here. Uh, unless your New Year's resolution was to come to church, in which case you're winning, so well done. Um, we're looking at the Bible. We're looking at Matthew. Um, we're in the middle of a series. Uh, the first book of the New Testament we're looking at, Matthew, is one of the four accounts of the life and work of Jesus. Uh, it's told from the perspective of one of his disciples, one of the people who was with him through the three years of his public ministry. Um, if you were here the other week, you might have noticed that Gillian's passage was from chapter 6. My passage is from chapter 5. Um, and the earlier bit of chapter 5 was before Christmas. So guess where we're going next week? Slightly back, the section just before mine. Uh, if you're confused, don't stress about it. Um, all that's happened is that Nate uh, took his passage and swapped it with Gillian so that Nate got the fun of dealing uh, with divorce and adultery uh, and enabled Gillian to be able to preach on prayer, uh, which is very, very good thing. Um, other than that, we've just been working through Matthew around Christmas services. So we're about a third of the way through the Sermon on the Mount which is the best sermon ever recorded. I think that's pretty safe to say, right? I mean, it's Jesus. <clears throat> it's kind of funny to preach a sermon on a sermon, um, but it makes sense. I mean, people write books about books, so why not? Our section today looks at oaths and vows, retribution and justice, loving others. And there's always more in a passage uh, like this, and you can ever fit in a sermon, even if you're preaching in Africa for like three or four hours. Um, but that's good. I actually like that because it means that we can keep digging into Scripture. Um, there's always something new to discover, some new thing to understand or apply. There's always more ways to grow, always more aspects um, or understandings of God's character and will to encounter. Always ways um, that we can connect more with God. And part of the purpose, I think, of a sermon or a talk is to, to help us look at a passage from maybe a different perspective or, or hear something new that we haven't come across before. Um, because, like, we can't cover every base when we're up the front. Um, but we trust that God will do his work, right? It's God who speaks um, through his word to us. That's, that's, I think that's how it is God's word, because God speaks to us, his Holy Spirit helps us understand. And so that's my prayer, uh, which I'm going to pray now. Um, pray with me. Pray, please, God, uh, I ask that you would speak to us through your word. Help us to understand um, whatever it is that you would have for us this morning. Uh, help us to have open hearts and minds to your spirits moving um, and bring us closer to you. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Were you ever a kid when you were younger? Um, most of us were. Uh, so perhaps you can relate to this idea. Uh, a seven-year-old sister and, and a four-year-old brother. The little brother wants his sister to do something. And she's like, sure, I'll, I'll, definitely, I'll definitely do that. <laughs> and for those who aren't able to see, I cross my fingers behind my back. It's a little loophole, right? If you cross your fingers, you don't have to carry through with your promise. And doesn't matter what the little brother says to mum and dad. 
Uh, you don't have to do it, right? That's, that's how it works, isn't it? Or this other picture. Um, you're wrestling with your brother and you're having lots of fun. Uh, you know, that old quote, it's all fun and games until someone loses an eye. Um, and so as soon as you cop an elbow to the cheek, you turn around and you... That was a punch if you didn't get to see it because you're listening to the podcast. Um, that's a straight-up automatic reaction from kids, isn't it? If they get hurt, they lash out and eye for an eye. Or perhaps you might have seen this one uh, at school. The little, little sister is in, like, kindy or something, and she's getting picked on by this year two kid who's just a bit of a bully. And then her brother, who happens to be in year four, he comes across, and all of a sudden he's very... Uh, took his passage and swapped it with Gillian so that Nate got the fun of dealing uh, with divorce and adultery uh, and <laughs> enabled Gillian to be able to preach on prayer, uh, which is a very, very good thing. Um, other than that, we've just been working through Matthew around Christmas services. So we're about a third of the way through the Sermon on the Mount, which is the best sermon ever recorded. I think that's pretty safe to say, right? I mean, it's Jesus. <clears throat> It's kind of funny to preach a sermon on a sermon, um, but it makes sense. I mean, people write books about books, so why not? Our section today looks at oaths and vows, retribution and justice, loving others. There's always more in a passage uh, like this than you can ever fit in a sermon, even if you're preaching in Africa for like three or four hours. Um, But that's good. I actually like that because it means that we can keep digging into Scripture um, there's always something new to discover, some new thing to understand or apply. There's always more ways to grow, always more aspects um, or understandings of God's character and will to encounter. Always ways um, that we can connect more with God. And part of the purpose, I think, of a sermon or a talk is to, to help us look at a passage from maybe a different perspective or, or hear something new that we haven't come across before. Um, because, like, we can't cover every base when we're up the front. Um, but we trust that God will do his work, right? It's God who speaks um, through his word to us. That's, that's, I think that's how it is God's word, because God speaks to us. His Holy Spirit helps us understand. And so that's my prayer, uh, which I'm going to pray now. Um, pray with me. Pray, please, God, uh, I ask that you would speak to us through your word. Help us to understand... Um, whatever it is that you would have for us this morning. Uh, help us to have open hearts and minds to your spirits moving um, and bring us closer to you. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Were you ever a kid when you were younger? Um, most of us were. Uh, so perhaps you can relate to this idea. Uh, a seven-year-old sister and, and a four-year-old brother the little brother wants his sister to do something, and she's like, sure, I'll, I'll, definitely, I'll definitely do that. <laughs> and for those who aren't able to see, I cross my fingers behind my back. It's a little loophole, right? If you cross your fingers, you don't have to carry through with your promise. And it doesn't matter what the little brother says to mum and dad, uh, you don't have to do it, right? That's, that's how it works, isn't it? <laughs> or this other picture, um, you're wrestling with your brother, and you're having lots of fun... Uh, you know, that old quote, it's all fun and games until someone loses an eye. Um, and so as soon as you cop an elbow to the cheek, you turn around and you... That was a punch if you didn't get to see it because you're listening to the podcast. Um, 
that's a straight up automatic reaction from kids, isn't it? If they get hurt, they lash out and eye for an eye. Or perhaps you might have seen this one at school. The little little sister is in like kindy or something, and she's getting picked on by this year two kid who's just a bit of a bully. And then her brother, who happens to be in year four, he comes across, and all of a sudden he's very defensive and lays the smack down. Maybe not physically, maybe verbally, maybe he just steps in and protects his sister. We see these things in kids really clearly, stuff that we often tend to hide a bit more um, as adults. Like we, we, we try to put some of these, these things behind, um, behind us and sometimes it's just masked better. I don't know. What do you think? This Sermon of the Mount that we're working through it started off with the Beatitudes. Um, and Jesus turns a whole bunch of religious and cultural standards on their head. He talks about the poor the mourning, the meek, people who are weak and vulnerable, and calls them blessed. That's upside down. He's calling his disciples to be different because the kingdom of God is different. Um, back in December, Scott preached and he, and he, out of the Beatitudes, and he said, we are called to stand up, stand out, and stand firm as followers of Jesus. And there's a key section, I think, in the Beatitudes, around verse 17 or so. Jesus makes a statement. He says... Do not think that I have come to abolish the law of the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfil them. And he also says, For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus doesn't come to, to get rid of it. He actually kind of doubles down on what it means to be good and righteous, what it means to be holy. And he speak, what he says speaks deeply into the religious and cultural understandings of Judaism, as well as the requirements of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, because even their rigorous rules aren't enough. Jesus calls for more. He's not doing away with the old, but what he is doing is he's doing away with faulty interpretation, faulty application of the law. And he says uh, three times in our section, but six times in this chapter, you have heard, followed by something, but I tell you, followed by something else. A, a, a contrast that elevates Jesus' interpretation of Scripture above all others. The Pharisees had this course for righteous living, a path um, that tended towards legalism and, and external obedience without internal heart change. But what Jesus does is he shows that the law and prophets point to a righteousness that is about our heart, our intent and our motives, not just our action. Even perfect external righteousness doesn't guarantee citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. Our first section on oaths, instead of, um, instead of making great promises and swearing on different things, Jesus calls his followers to be people of integrity. From verse 33, again you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, do not break your oath, but fulfil to the Lord the vows you have made. But I tell you, do not swear an oath at all, either by heaven, for it is God's throne, or by the earth, for it is his footstool, or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. And do not swear by your head, for you cannot make even one hair white or black. All you need to say is simple yes or no. Anything beyond this comes from the evil one. Jesus is addressing the misuse of, of different types of oaths. Um, the rabbis of the time had developed like a, a structured hierarchy of oaths. 
uh, where swearing by a lesser thing wasn't binding because it didn't invoke the literal name of God. They kind of created a loophole legalism, a bit like crossing your fingers behind your back when you make a promise. It enables the appearance of integrity but allows for deception. It was actually built into the system. You could swear on your mother's life or your grandfather's grave or whatever appeared to be significant and meaningful, but you could wriggle out of your obligation because you didn't swear by the name of Yahweh. Sounds a bit like the small prints on everything that we have to sign these days. How often do you hear about people getting out of something um, because of a technicality? Or the insurance company that rejects a claim because some loophole in the agreement? There's nothing new under the sun, is there? But we, as followers of Jesus, we are called to be different. We want to live lives of integrity even when it's uncomfortable. For our yes to mean absolutely, not maybe. For our no to mean definitely not, not, oh, look, I'll try as long as it's not too hard. Sometimes that means for us we need to be careful what we commit to. That's important, it's a good thing. Because anything that we say yes to, that means we say no to something else, doesn't it? We don't have limitless capacity. That's how we've been made, and that's okay. So it's important to think and pray about what we say yes to. I mean, it's easier and honestly better uh, to be someone who says no first and then changes it to a yes than to say, yeah, yeah, for sure, and then backs out at the last minute. Perhaps for some of us, It means pushing through discomfort, being willing to make sacrifices, to take risks so that we live with integrity. Maybe for you there's something specific right now that you know you aren't being honest in. Some place in your life or your work, um, whatever it is, where you aren't being truthful, where you're being deceitful, where your yes isn't yes, your no isn't no. Perhaps you are living a lie. Or looking over your shoulder because of something from your past. Or maybe you've even planned something out and put into motion that you know is not right. And if that's you, you got my permission and, and my encouragement to stop listening to me now. Um, and start listening to God. Don't worry about the rest of the service. Just use the time to reach out to God. And admit where you're at and ask him to forgive you and and to help you and to lay down that guilt and shame burden and take up his love and peace and move forward with God in integrity. And if that's you, don't do it alone. Talk to someone. It doesn't have to be in the room right now, but talk to someone. Find accountability and, and the next right step. Be a person of integrity. The next section, the eye for an eye, it's a a good one for turning things upside down and making us even more uncomfortable. Jesus is calling us to sacrificial generosity. From verse 38, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them too. Give to the one who asks you and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow money from you. When Jesus was saying this, the Roman soldiers could literally force you to take their pack or their burden or whatever for a mile or ten miles. 
So, so it's not like that's a weird idea to me. No one's going to ask me to go a mile, but it was real life for those guys. I think the only time I've ever heard anyone, other than in a sermon perhaps, say something about an eye for an eye is like an action movie, and there's revenge. It sounds like something Liam Neeson uh, or maybe Arnie would say. We don't say it, but how often do we feel it? I read someone quoting, um, quoted as saying, I don't believe in an eye for an eye, I believe in two eyes for an eye. It's kind of more how we tend to react, isn't it? You know, the kid that cops the elbow to the cheek and then lashes out with both fists. Most of the time we don't follow through with our tendencies. You know, like when someone cuts us off in traffic or, or sits on our tail, there's a, part of us who, there's a part of us that wants to find some way to get back at them, isn't there? You know, we want to get ahead of them and cut them off or, or hit the brakes and test their response time and, and put the fear of bumper into them. But we don't do that, do we? Do we? <laughs> Most of the time we'll just mutter under our breath and move on. But Jesus is asking more than that. When our lane catches up to theirs, he wants us to let them in when they put their blinker on. Maybe even pull over and let them through, let them past. To wave and smile in a genuine way, not a passive-aggressive way, a genuine way. And actually wishing them a safe and speedy journey. How natural does that feel? It might seem like a silly example, but it, I think it actually shows how countercultural that is, doesn't it? From childhood, we want justice, usually with interest. The eye for the eye thing from the Old Testament, that was actually put there to be administered by civil authorities, not something for the individual to carry out. And it was actually designed to limit personal revenge, to make offenders equal regardless of status and to make sure that there was equivalent restoration or restitution. But Jesus goes beyond He challenges us with sacrificial generosity, even to those who don't deserve it. How does that sit with you? It doesn't seem fair. I mean, it's not fair. Because fair is justice, right? It's a hard teaching, but there's something beautiful in it. If you can get your head around it, um, instead of resisting, we can actually reverse the dynamic from taking and change it to giving. There's a world of difference between having something taken off you and giving the same thing over to someone. Different for us and also different for that person. What might it make them think? There's an opportunity in this to advance the kingdom of heaven on earth, even when we're being taken advantage of. Such a radical concept, even now. Maybe even especially now. It's uncomfortable. I want to protect my interests. We don't want people to get away with stuff. Sometimes we even hide it behind the idea of, oh, I've got to be a good steward. But God calls us to love and serve others, not just those who deserve it. Now, I have to say, there is a tension in this, right? It's something to navigate carefully. Um, To get the wisdom of others to listen to God, I don't think it's black and white. If you are being abused, if if you or others are in any danger, get out, get safe, okay? Seek support, seek refuge, report it. 
Okay, abuse, gaslighting, bullying, this stuff is not okay. That's not something you just push through, okay? And there's nothing in this passage that speaks against pursuing justice through the relevant authorities, okay? I'm not saying that. But for other things, maybe there's a place for us to serve, to show love, to advance the kingdom. Maybe there's a time and place for sacrificial generosity. Which I think leads neatly into our next section about loving your enemies. From verse 43. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Later on in Matthew 22, Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? And we know his answer, don't we? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. That's the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbour as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. What Judaism had done is they'd taken God's hatred of evil, which is good and and right, and they'd taken it a couple of extra steps. Um, For for the Jew, the neighbour was only a fellow Israelite. But Gentiles, people who don't follow Yahweh, they were seen as evildoers. And and if God hates evil, then Israel should hate the Gentiles because they are evildoers. But all the way back in Genesis 12, when God makes his promise to Abraham about his descendants, the nation of Israel, the very start of God's people, part of that promise is that Abraham's descendants would be a blessing to the whole world. God's people weren't to hate the people of the world, but to bless them, even when they are enemies. And God provides sun and rain regardless of merit. John 3.16, we've got God so loved the world that he sent Jesus. He, didn't, he doesn't see our human boundaries and markers or groupings, and he loves even those who reject us, and that's such a good thing for us. We might not have enemies as such, but we can be odd, at odds with people, can't we? You know, sometimes it's the world, those outside of the church, we see a, moror- a morality that we disagree with. Uh, practices that we don't condone, brokenness and pain everywhere per- perpetuated by humans. And, and sometimes we feel uh, persecuted, attacked, rejected, maligned, misunderstood. Sometimes we feel that from or towards our sisters and brothers in the church. There could be other churches or denominations whose theology and practice we disagree with. It could be someone's interpretation of scripture that feels heretical and wrong. And sometimes it's people in our own personal faith community uh, who have a different perspective or who, who don't fit or who have done us wrong or have hurt us. And Jesus calls, as Jesus calls us to love and pray for our enemies, he calls us to love and pray for people both inside and outside of the church where there's disconnect and broken relationship. 
We've only touched on them. Um, but there's some pretty big concepts here, isn't there? And what I want to do is just give us a moment for a couple of points just to sit in the quiet with a question or two. We are called to be people of integrity. Take a moment. Is there anything that God is saying to you? Is there something that God is highlighting that you need to address? Jesus calls us to sacrificial generosity. Again, take a moment. Are there things uh, that we need to let go of or people that we need to forgive or ways that we could be serving that God's pointing out to you now? And we are called to love our enemies. Take a moment. Is there someone you need to practice love towards? Is there anything God is prompting you in 